0: the first reading, we heard uh, a little portion from the story of King Solomon. And Solomon was very young, probably in his mid to late teenage years, when he'd been given a, an incredibly big responsibility, he was chosen by God to be the king of Israel. Now, we need to stop right there and ponder that, because we don't often think of young people the way that God does. In our own culture, we don't think of young men and women in their mid to late teens as being worthy of big responsibilities. And yet here is God making Solomon the king of Israel. But of course, God choosing young people for great things doesn't end there. Mary was in her mid-teenage years when she was chosen to be the mother of Jesus. Similarly, our own church's history is full of young people who were given enormous responsibilities and who showed very deep faith. In the early 1900s, the Mexican government had become very anti-Catholic and had begun to persecute the church. The Cristeros were a group that fought for their faith in the midst of this persecution. Among them was a 14-year-old named Jose Sanchez del Rio. Jose was captured by the Mexican army and was told that he would be set free if he renounced his Catholic faith. They tortured him and all he needed to say was, Jesus Christ is dead. But all he would say is "Viva Cristo Rey," Christ the King lives. Long live Christ the King. Despite this torture, he never backed down. He never renounced his faith, and he was eventually killed by the Mexican government. Saint Therese of Lisieux was only 15 when she entered a Carmelite monastery. And she was not much older when she wrote one of the deepest works of Christian spirituality that has ever been written. In fact, it's her diary. So even as a 15-year-old, she was writing some very profound thoughts. Pier Giorgio Frassati became active in the St. Vincent de Paul Society at the age of 17, offered thousands of small acts of kindness and charity to the poor, even was taking care of dozens of families at one time in his native town of Turin. It could go on and on, but it's clear that God is not waiting for our young Catholics to graduate high school or to graduate from college to live out their faith devoutly in the real world. God is calling our young parishioners right now to an active life of faith. Our young parishioners have already been given this responsibility. So we need to be clear that being young, it's not an excuse to live the faith half-heartedly. But I also want to apologize because as a church, we haven't always had the highest standards for our young people. I've mentioned this before, but we demand greatness from our young people in so many things. We want them to be the best athletes. We want them to have the best grades and go to the best college that they can. We want them to excel in all of these worldly things. But when it comes to living out the faith, we often teach our youth to settle for mediocrity. message we send through our actions is that living out our faith is too demanding. We can't possibly do it. And it really isn't worth it anyway. There's other things that are more important. Our expectations for so many of our young people have gone far too low. And I think it's actually, I think we insult a lot of our young Catholics when we don't uh, call them to a higher standard. And I want everyone to know that God calls young people to very heroic acts of faith, even in our own time and place. But that God calls young people to this, we all know this, doesn't mean that it is easy. God's expectations can even seem very burdensome at first. King Solomon, what we heard in this first reading, he certainly seems overwhelmed and burdened over the responsibilities that God had given him. And his prayer is very important. It's very important that we pay attention to this. Because so often, we are tempted to make our faith easier to live. Okay, if young people have lost interest in the church, we want to make it easier, uh, lower some of these demands. But, uh, But it's clear from the story that Solomon didn't ask for this. He didn't ask God to make it easier for him to be a king. Rather, he asked God for a heart to understand right from wrong. He asked for a heart to understand God's will. And it's clear from the story that this was very pleasing to God. This is important for us all to ponder, but especially for the young men and women of our parishes. How have you been taught to pray? Do you ask for things that will make your life easier? Do you ask for things that make your faith easier to live? Or do you ask for a heart to know right from wrong, so that you can step up and perform heroic tasks when nobody else is willing. We need the grace of God to rise above mediocrity. We don't need the grace of God to live mediocre standards, to be basically good people. We do need the grace of God to rise above the mediocrity and to become saints. It is true that putting God's will into practice It requires some sacrifices, even some very big sacrifices. But when we make those sacrifices, Scripture teaches us, we receive so much in return. In the Gospel, Jesus tells us a parable about a man who found a priceless treasure. He hid it in a field, and we're told that he sold all that he had. He gave up everything so that he could purchase this field. Jesus doubles down. He tells another brief parable of a man who found a pearl that was worth a great deal, and he sold everything that he had in order to buy that pearl. It is worth it to give up everything for the sake of the kingdom of God. We receive so much back in return. But selling everything to buy that field is difficult. It does require us to have a great deal of trust, and I know that it o- isn't always easy to have that trust. I remember just a couple days after I was ordained a deacon. I think I may have said this before, but I, I went back to seminary and 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 was really sort of uh, uh, alone for the first time. My friends and family, they'd all. Uh, of course, I wasn't around them. And I remember as soon as I had some time to, to think, I remember a great sense of panic. I started to ask, what if God isn't there to back me up? What if he abandons me? What if he brought me all this way? He's playing some cruel joke on me. It was a terrifying experience. Those feelings happened when we commit ourselves to God's kingdom, and when we make these sacrifices. And when they do, when these feelings do show up, we need to remember that the roles in this parable, the roles in these parables, are actually reversed. They're reversible. We're not only this person who discovered this treasure. We are that treasure. We are not only the merchant who found this pearl of great price and sold everything that he had so he could purchase it. We are also that priceless pearl. And Jesus is the man who gave up everything to take possession of us. God came down from heaven, became human, and offered everything to purchase our life. Believing that can make a world of difference. It means everything. Believing that means that we can trust God and entrust the entirety of our life to his plan. And when we do, to use St. Paul's words in the second reading, we will be conformed to the image of Christ. We will see the world through his eyes and think with his very mind, We'll live in the world just as he did. And we will eventually be glorified as all the saints in Christ have been glorified.